0: Okay, we are doing today Thursday's portion of Chumash. Now this is post the sin of the golden calf, the most grievous sin we have, where 3,000 Jews participated in this act that according to some commentators truly was idolatry, according to others it was not, but going in that direction, and therefore very, very grievous sin. This is post God's anger, post Moses' prayers, and the punishment of all the sinners. At this point now, it's actually a time of God's goodwill, because the Jews have repented, because Moses has interceded with the Jews, and it's a time when God has truly been compassionate to the Jews because he's forgiving them, even after such a grievous sin. So it's a time of opportunity. Moses senses this is a time of opportunity to try to get even closer to God. What Moses did in Wednesday's portion was say to God, knowing that it's a time of opportunity, knowing that God is having such mercy on the Jewish people, Moses said, God, please show me your glory. Show me your face. I want to see the inner dimension of God. And God basically said, you can't see my face. No one can, but you can see my back. Which, of course, Kabbalistically refers to different levels of God himself, that which Moses could see, that which Moses couldn't see. Or there are many, many interpretations for some. It's Moses could see all the reward that one will be given in this world, but the face will be seeing the reward in the later stages of the times of the Messiah that no man can see. It explains seeing the back is, uh, it says Moses saw the, the place of the knot of the tefillin, connecting to the idea of God's da'as, that connectivity element. So there's there's many, 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 many levels here of what Moses wanted to see and what ultimately... God chose to show to Moses. That was yesterday's portion. So now, continuing in today's portion, God says to Moses, now we're continuing, carve for yourself two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I shall inscribe on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you shattered. In other words, to understand the storyline, Moses is in heaven for 40 days. That's when the Jews sin because they miscount Moses said he'll be back in 40 days they did not realize that a day means a complete day in the jewish law day means ninth and day they only counted the days so they were one day off and the forces of evil exploited this opportunity and obviously created such a deliberate situation showing them a casket in the heavens flying the whole world got dark and cloudy and as if it's mourning for the passing of Moses and then the jews panic and the mixed multitude of egyptians that joined the Jews, were like, oh my gosh, now we don't have a leader. Moses is gone and we have to bring someone back, et cetera, et cetera. Which led them to convince the Jews to, we have to make a new God, a a representative of God. Moses is the leader in the desert, someone that's showing us the path. We need a new force to do that. And uh, we shouldn't go for a human because, look, humans are so transient. Let's go for something more powerful, more substantial. Which led them to the sin of the golden calf. Now, when Moses is in heaven, he's in heaven this whole time. And the next day, God says, you have to go down. Look what your people did. Moses is coming down carrying the tablets. When he comes down and he understands the sin the Jews committed, he's like, I can't come down and bring them these tablets. These tablets are like the, the, the sign of the matrimony to the Jewish people and God. Oh, well, If they're truly married, the Jews just committed adultery. Oh, well, I don't want them to be committed adultery. I don't want them to be married. So he shattered the tablets, which was exactly what he needed to do then, and it was appropriate. And it opened up the ability for the Jews to ultimately repent and come much closer to God. And actually, at the very end of Moses' life, as we understood his life in this world, when we're, the Torah is giving the praise of Moses, the praise is that he shattered the tablets. That truly, that was an amazing thing, and truly, it expresses the connection of the Jew to God even higher than the tablets, and it opened up the path of repentance, and it the Jewish people is a great great thing practically speaking they don't have the talent now post the story when Moses has prayed and interceded and turned to God and supplicated and God said he's forgiving the Jews enough that he's not going to destroy them the sinners got killed but for the rest of the Jews who also have to bear the punishment because even though they didn't personally sin but if such a sin happens in your midst and you allow it to happen and you don't stop it, you're considered part of the sin on a certain level. So they'll be punished little by little throughout the duration of history. But now, we want to continue the relationship. So guess what? We need new tablets. Well, Moses, you broke the last one as a good act, as an act to save the Jews. You've got to write the next one. So Rashi says, the verse says, carve for yourself two tablets. So, Rashi says that God showed Moses a quarry of, in the Hebrew we call it Sanpirinon, which generally is translated as sapphire. And he said, from this sapphire, translated sapphire, carve the tablets and the chips. What's left over will be yours, from which it says Moses became quite wealthy. This is based on the word carved for yourself, and also you are benefiting from this. Now, then Rashi explains why is Moses the one supposed to make these tablets? God made the first. So Rosh explains, as I just did, and he gives a parable of a king who goes overseas, and he leaves his wife with maidservants, and the maidservants didn't behave properly, which created a bad reputation, and it spread to the wife. People didn't know the exact details, and the wife also gained this bad reputation. So the good friend said, wait, I'm going to destroy her Kasubah her marriage document. Because if the king will say, well, she has to be killed, I think she's committed adultery, I'll say, she's not your wife. <laughs> and we'll give the king time to check the matter out and his anger will cool. And that's exactly what happened. The king comes back, he hears the horrible reports, he wants his wife killed for adultery, well, she's not your wife, where's the marriage document? Well, the king does an investigation, he finds out that the conduct, the inappropriate behavior was among the maidservants, among the slaves, and he was reconciled with his wife. And then, now the friend says to the king, well, she needs a she needs a marriage document. And the king said, you tore it up. You buy for yourself with your own money paper. And you write her another marriage document. So the king, obviously, is God. The maidservants are the Erevrav, the conglom- conglomeration of converts, but insincere converts. Not a pure convert is, is a tremendous godly person but these converts weren't were viewed on that level they were more like joining the winning bandwagon when the jews left egypt we were like the winning team he said hey we want to be part of this great team and joined us without a real sincere conviction to god and caused us tremendous problems throughout all of the journey in the desert so the maidservants were these conglomeration of converts who were insincere in their relationship with god the friend of course is moses and the wife is the jewish people and that's why god said you carved the tablets because you shattered the first one to protect the jewish people as i'm saying it was a very good thing moses did for us uh next verse be prepared for the morning ascend mount sinai in the morning and stand by me there on the mountaintop now rashi translates this word in hebrew it's Nachon, which previously had meant correct um, but here, Rashi is explaining to me, be ready, be prepared. No man shall send with you, and no man shall be seen on the entire mountain. The flock and the cattle, too, shall not graze facing that mountain. So Rashi explains that the first tablets were given with fanfare, with sounds, with a throng of people. It was almost as if the evil eye affected them. These tablets are going to be given with a lot of quietness. Nobody's going to be around, nobody's going to hear about it to protect them. And Rashi concludes there's nothing better than modesty. That since these tablets were given in this very discreet way, they were protected. So he carved out two stone tablets like the first ones. Moses rose early in the morning and ascended to Mount Sinai as God had commanded him, and he took two stone tablets in his hand. God descended in a cloud and stood with him there, and he called with the name of God. God passed before him and proclaimed, This is the name of God we're saying. These are all names of God. Um, In English it goes, God, God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in kindness and truth. These These are the 13 traits of compassion that are all various names of God. These are very, very powerful words. Because whenever we're in trouble, we call out with these 13 attributes of compassion. They're in our prayers every day. Generally, we're only allowed to say them if we're in a core in a synagogue. You can't just privately pray and say these names are too holy. On the ultimate prayer of the ultimate day, on the final prayer of Yom Kippur and the Elah, we say these prayers again and again and again and again. It's like we're, this is our last-ditch effort. You know, the gates are closing, and we're pushing through our final prayers for an amazing year for the world. And we keep repeating these words of the 13 attributes of mercy because we know these are the most powerful tools we have to elicit God's infinite compassion on us. So Rashi here explains these words, God, God, Rashi says, again, in, in the Hebrew, this works in the English, it just all sounds like God, so it's hard to see the difference. This is the attribute of mercy, one name referring to God's mercy before a person sins, and the other one after a person sins and repents. And then again, now this next word that means God, Kale, which Rashi says is also the attribute of mercy. As he brings the proof that this is found in a verse that says, God, God, why have you forsaken me? And we would say, we're saying, why have you forsaken me? We're not talking about uh, judgment. We must be talking about mercy. That's how Rashi proves this version of the word God means mercy. Slow to anger, meaning he extends the time of his patience before expressing anger. He doesn't hurry to exact punishment because perhaps the sinner will repent. That does mean that God is slow to anger. And abundant kindness, meaning for those who need kindness, because they don't have sufficient merits on their own, so they need kindness. And truth, the truth of God is to pay good reward to those who perform his will. That's the first verse. The next verse continues these names. Preserver of kindness for 2,000, meaning for 2,000 generations. Forgiver of iniquity and willful sin and error and who absolves, but does not absolve completely Remember the iniquity of the Father upon the children and upon the grandchildren, upon the third and fourth, meaning third and fourth generation. When he says preserver of kindness, it means that God preserves the kindness that man does before him. For two thousand, meaning for two thousand generations. That's a very long time. For two thousand generations God will remember the kindness we've done to extend it to the merit to our descendants. Forgiver of iniquity and willful sin, iniquities mean intentional acts, and willful sins means rebellious acts, that a person does literally willfully to anger God. And we have this interesting expression, who absolves but not, does not absolve completely. Because in the Hebrew it says who absolves and who does not absolve. So what does it mean who absolves and does not absolve? According to the simple meaning, it means he doesn't completely absolve the sinner of his sin, but is lenient with him. So he doesn't mete out the full punishment at once. But our rabbis explain it literally to mean he absolves the sin of the penitent completely, but does not absolve the sin of one who does not repent. And that's how the rabbis can explain who absolves some people's sin, the sin of one who has repented, but does not absolve other people's sin, the one who has not repented. He remembers the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. Now, this means, Rashi explains, when the children continue the sinful behavior of their fathers. Because we already explicitly said um, that the sins of the fathers are only remembered on the children who, God forbid, express an act of hatred to God. Meaning if someone's father did tremendous sins, but the person himself is very close to God and very committed to God, so the sins of the fathers do not affect the children. But if the father sinned and the child continues to sin along the same lines, then the negative energy accrued by the father's acts also falls on the children. For how long? For four generations. So we see how much more God repays good than evil. Because we said in this verse, if you do something good, 2,000 generations will benefit. And if you do something bad and the bad continues in the next generation, it's for four generations, which means the ratio of good over bad is 500 to one. 500 more times good is repaid than bad because good is 2,000 generations and bad is four generations. Quite a different ratio. And... Moses hurried to bow his head toward the ground and prostrate himself. It says Moses hurried because Moses saw the divine presence passing before him. And when he heard the sound of this calling of the names of God, he immediately prostrated himself. And Moses said, he said, if I have now found favor in your eyes, my Lord, may my Lord please go in our midst for the stiff-necked people and may you forgive our iniquity and our error and make us a portion. Which means you promise. That since you forgive iniquity, then we want you to be with us. And if you're saying, Well, they're stiff necked people, they disobeyed me, but you said you forgive our sin. So the the word key here means if you've forgiven our sins, then you could be in our midst, even if we are a stiff necked people. And you can make for us a portion, meaning make us a unique portion. That we want you, this is a phrase Moses used when if we know any Amcha. We should be set apart. We shouldn't be like all the other nations. Your divine presence should rest upon us uniquely and not the rest of the world. That's today's portion.